All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Blockchain and Brews. Today, we have a very special guest, Michael Jellin, known more colloquially as Jelly. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Avi. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk today a little bit about layers, scaling, and really how blockchain technology allows us to do stuff that we weren't able to do before in a decentralized way. And before we get into that, Jelly, tell us a little bit about how you got involved into crypto and what you're up to these days. Sure. So my background has been in management consulting. Uh, I spent about 16 years there. And during that time, I've always been a technology-based team. So data analytics, machine learning, AI. And uh, one of the projects I ended up working on was actually in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi. And I was working with the government there uh, to help them put together their policy and strategy for blockchain adoption. So that was really my deep dive into that technology. Came back to the U.S. I'm in Austin, where there's a great DeFi and crypto community. Um, it really just fell in love with the space. So it's been an incredible journey and so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, as you know, this podcast is all about adoption. We are strong believers of adoption through education. If you understand the technology, maybe you'll be more comfortable using and truly see its value. So without further ado, let's get right into it and let's explore this world of layers. I'm hearing a lot of layer one, layer two, layer zero. I think the other day I heard a little bit about layer seven. What are people talking about and why is that important? All right. Well, there, there are definitely a lot of different routes you can go when you're discussing the layers, but um, I really like to think about it in terms of the way that you handle trade-offs. Um, and I like to think about different blockchains handling those trade-offs the way that cities handle those same trade-offs. So you could grow a city in the way that Los Angeles grows. It, it sprawls out, not a lot of super high, uh, tall skyscrapers, but you can have a lot of people in there by spreading out really wide. And that, in a lot of ways, is what Solana chose to do by having strong throughput, but it requires very fast computers to handle validation and, and things like that. Um, whereas Ethereum really focused on security first. And so it does have slower transaction speeds, especially on that that base layer. But because of the trade-offs that they've made, you're able to then uh, take that and build on top of it using these additional layers, the same way that perhaps Manhattan can be thought of as a very small footprint. But if you want to be able to scale or build more people into that city, you can go up through skyscrapers. So I tend to think of the relationship between those layer ones and layer twos, especially in the Ethereum network, uh, as the, the ground footprint being the roads and that being like layer one of Ethereum. And then each different skyscraper would be essentially a different layer two. So Arbitrum, Optimism, et cetera. So you inherit the principles and the security of that base layer but it allows you to compress more people into a single piece of land. So the footprint stays the same. And that's exactly what happens through uh, cryptography and uh, a bunch of fancy math that allows us to compress tons of transactions into a single message on, on the Ethereum mainnet. That is fantastic to hear. We're big fans here of cryptography and fancy math, as I have yet for a computer to lie to me. So that is a huge advantage there. I love that analogy you're telling me of the roads. So essentially, if I'm building on Ethereum, I should expect a nice, secure, robust system, maybe some slower transactions. The transactions could be anything, whether it's just my dApp functioning, sending messages through an Ethereum chat, using one of these Ethereum-specific applications. Meanwhile, if I'm on Solana, trading NFTs on Solana or, or using a Solana-based Web3 game, those transactions are going to be much faster. What are some of the trade-offs? It seems like I should just obviously use Solana. Are we seeing the security of Ethereum really pay dividend sacrificing that transaction speed 
The biggest uh, trade-off is going to be the number of validators that are possible. So in Solana, in order to be able to have that transaction throughput, the raw power of the machines that handle validation is so high that you're only going to have a couple thousand validators. Um, whereas in Ethereum, you could actually run a node on a Raspberry Pi or theoretically on your phone. And that makes it possible for you to have millions or more validators. Uh, and so when you start to think about overall systemic risk, if you're looking at maybe 2,000 validators for an entire network, it would be possible for the government uh, or certain jurisdictions to be able to come in and shut them down and put the entire network at risk um, or have collusion among those individuals. Whereas it's much, much harder to do that in a system where you could have any cell phone or any piece of hardware running validation nodes. And so that's really the long-term trade-off that I think Ethereum made. And um, a lot of people have recognized it as being more robust in the long-term. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot about the Ethereum community being very strong and how Solana, due to the way it wanted to emphasize on speed, sort of sacrificed some of those trustless systems. And we're, we're getting back to... I mean, now, what, what what really is the advantage of Solana over a Web2 solution, for example? Yeah, I, I think you're still going to find that there's an enormous amount of value in the system that Solana has built, um, not in any way putting it down. I just think that if you're talking about building a, a global financial system where almost all of the assets of the entire planet Earth are going to be put on a chain, you need to optimize for security rather than have 1,500 or 2,000 people holding the keys to the castle. Um, and that level of decentralization, we've really only seen in, in Ethereum's roadmap. Um, so I would say that that's really it. But but there are plenty of lower value transactions that are absolutely perfect on Solana. Um, and there's really nothing wrong with it. I think it, there are tons of use cases. There. We're on these decentralized exchanges. We're all accredited investors here. And we're now exchanging money online. Why is this any better than me just using Robinhood? What advantages are going on here? How can we really leverage? Yeah, so I... I there's so much, and I'll start off kind of at the beginning and give like a short little history of, of how trading works on the blockchain, um, because I think it builds up to where we are right now. Um, at a high level, when Ethereum, I'll use Ethereum as a baseline because, again, we talked about 15 transactions per second, but when you start to trade things, um, especially with a lot of different people and a lot of different assets, you're going to need to settle those transactions faster um, then Ethereum can currently settle with like 30 seconds and you're going to need to do more than 15 transactions per second. Um, and so at the beginning, what the solution was by Uniswap and some of these very initial exchanges that exist that are decentralized uh, is you would have liquidity pools in order to uh, allow transactions to clear without having the other side. So in, in typical trading, you have a bid and an ask, right? So it's like an order book. You have a list of people that want to buy something and they want to sell it and they want to do it at these different prices. And typically those just get cleared when they match. You cannot do that in the blockchain, uh, at least not initially. We can now with some ZK technology, but initially what people would do is take two assets, USDC and ETH, for instance, you would deposit them into this pool. And then anytime someone wants to buy and sell, it would just clear automatically based on the ratio of those two assets. So as one of them gets depleted, the price of that um, obviously would, would increase. So that's sort of the way that the, the price is set in these different automated, it's called an automated market maker because there is no individual doing it. Um, but it's pretty inefficient and it's not really a great way um, to be capital efficient with the money that you deposit since it can range anywhere between zero and infinity for every price. Uh, as time went on, uh, Uniswap has released 
subsequent versions that allow you to target specific liquidity ranges. So you can say, okay, I'm going to provide uh, Ethereum and USDC, and I'm only okay for the price to clear between $1,700 and $2,000, something like that. So now we have more capital efficiency. But the real breakthrough and, and where we've been going towards a system that's actually able to handle Robinhood-style trading volume uh, is with zero-knowledge proofs. So now that we're able to have these layer twos uh, that sit on top of Ethereum and they can um, reconcile and close out transactions directly on that layer two, uh, with the compression available through zero-knowledge proofs, you can actually build a full order book that is able to execute. So now we can have um, places like DYDX, which is a perpetuals exchange, fully on-chain, and they're able to have a bid and ask of lots of different assets. I think there are like 30 assets or so that are on there. Um, and you're able to treat that like any other normal order book uh, in any other trading place. And now I think that this technology is where it is. We're going to see more and more of this coming on chain because the advantages are it is fully decentralized so that that doesn't put you under reliance on FTX or any other centralized exchange. Uh, it can't be shut down. There's no single point of failure. Um, even if you know something were to go wrong in that layer two, your assets are actually still pre preserved on that layer one, um, which I think is a, a huge benefit and, and the the way that I think ultimately finance will end up maybe 10 years from now. Um, so that, that I think is like a, a really big breakthrough. Uh, and when I think about the entire market and where it's headed, right now, crypto assets are relatively small in terms of our real world interactions. You know, we're not tokenizing real estate yet. We don't have digital music rights on chain, but all of these things are going to come on chain. And when they come on chain, everyone wants to trade them. So they're going to get traded somewhere and we need to have efficient markets that make that possible. Um, and that's really where we're moving. And I think all of this technology is building that infrastructure for us. That is awesome. And, and I really love to, I'm hearing again and again from everyone we bring on, ZK is helping us roll up. ZK is helping us scale. Like it, it's almost as if now people should just kind of like put NFTs to the side and really focus on ZKP. Like those should be the new three letters that everyone is, is learning of and thinking about, because I believe there is a lot of value here intrinsically. Like you were saying, we learned last time it is a complex mathematical algorithm. It is a form of cryptography and it is immutable. It cannot lie to us and will always perform the way everyone knows it will perform. So very excited for that. Audience, keep an eye out for ZKP. Rewatch our episode. Learn a little more about these three letters because I do, we do believe they're going to help bring blockchain to the next level. In fact, just as you were saying, these decentralized markets are necessary. I remember perfectly when we were trading GME that it was all halted and all of a sudden I had GME at one price and I had to wait three days. And by the time I could sell it, it was completely different. Um, so very much looking forward to decentralizing this process, getting it to a point where it's really people run, really laissez faire. I mean, the, 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 the possibilities are what we all hope and dream they will be. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's also very timely to be discussing this right now, as we just saw Silicon Valley bank collapse. Um, and also first Republic, the, the way that the current financial system operates is a little bit opaque. Uh, you're not, you don't always have access to the balance sheets that are up to date of all of these different banks. And so there is significant risk dealing with these counterparties that the normal person isn't aware of. Whereas if things are on chain, you can just see very easily, like, let's say you're in an Ave pool and you're borrowing money. Like 
you know exactly how many assets are in that pool. You know where they came from. You know that they're verified. And, and I think that that's the, the real power of DeFi is removing that need to trust any sort of centralized entity with the most important thing, arguably, in society, which is money. Um, so, yeah, as we move towards uh, more and more on-chain trading, I, I think you'll remove that trust that's required in these entities. And ultimately, everybody wins. You know, you're not going to have these, these crazy situations. Yeah, I mean, I don't want you to, I don't want to ask you to whip out your crystal ball again, but why it just seems so obvious, especially with SVB, why is this stuff not on chain? Why is there not a simple, simple in quotation mark, zero knowledge proof algorithm that analyzes every single bank database, has a specific baseline of debt to asset ratio that needs to be maintained. And if that falls below a different level, raise up a flag and only then identify through the regulators only what that bank is protecting the entire world. I don't know. It just seems like I'm, I'm selling water to a fish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I have mixed feelings about it because on one hand, uh, I do want to say that like, you're absolutely right. That's very clearly the path forward and just sort of blame it on the lack of uh, education that exists out there. Um, but on the flip side, I mean, if, if you put on like a black hat and be a little bit more nefarious, the way that the system currently operates enables regulators to sort of act in a, a manner that can control the market a little bit more. So um, the current system does allow for these you know, let's print a bunch of money or let's go do this and let's take these other tactics that um, can happen unilaterally without everyone's agreement or, or uh, anything like that. Whereas an on-chain contract, like if price drops below here, liquidate, sell it immediately, like that has to act as intended. And so there may be elements that are intentional here uh, in involving humans um, in some of these banking crises. Yeah, so. I don't know, just just something to think about. But uh, I certainly would prefer to move towards a more fair, totally transparent um, on-chain representation of all of our assets. Very interesting. And this is now more rabbit hole question. But are you insinuating that there is an argument for saying that having the market work the way it's supposed to work could potentially be dangerous if we don't have methods to control and interject whenever we want? Uh, I would think that that would be the stance that a regulator would certainly take. Um, I think that ultimately we are going to be able to get there fully on chain and fully through computer code. But in this transition period, I think people have very mixed feelings around that. Um, if you do think about the the U.S. dollar in particular, it is a very powerful political tool. Uh, and so having the ability to print more at whatever point or change interest rates or do things like that um, is, a, is a powerful weapon in the global world. So I can't imagine someone giving up control of that uh, very easily, uh, especially, you know, the United States government or, or anyone else. But um, it, this transition period is going to be interesting to see how we handle this and, and what the right balance of human intervention and fully autonomous code ultimately is. Yep. Yep. We shall see. And we did cover order books previously when we were talking about um, automated market makers. So that's great. And just uh, very quickly, a DEX is essentially just the application within which an automated market maker is existing. Like Uniswap is a DEX, SushiSwap is a DEX, and they all use automated market makers to make their transactions. Yeah, technically, uh, even DYDX is a DEX, but it does not utilize an automated market maker. So DEX is just a decentralized exchange, whereas like a SEC, like a CEX would be a centralized exchange like Binance or something. Gotcha, gotcha. Some rectangles and squares interactions there. Very cool. So then let us end up, Jelly, this has been insanely valuable. Tell us your last few thoughts on trustless transactions, 
where they are. And again, we may have touched on this uh, sort of striatedly, but kind of what are its limitations and what do we need to see before we could start uh, getting some mass adoption? Because I don't trust anyone, unfortunately, at least not as much as I trust the calculator to tell me two plus two equals four every single time. So where, yeah. are, we, where are we going? Yeah, um, I'll sort of finish it with like a little anecdote here, uh, kind of like a soft human side. But when we started the project that, that I'm working on right now, we ended up having two different people work on our team. One of them was a cartoon artist uh, who was located in Russia. Another one was uh, in Africa and a computer developer. And both of these people, um, we couldn't pay through normal banking rails. Like it would be very difficult to interact with them, um, just largely because of scams and things like that that have happened in their jurisdictions. Um, and this technology, just generally DeFi, would enable us to interact with these people. And if you've got a person who wants to work on a project for you and you have the capital to be able to pay them, I just feel like it's a fair thing on planet Earth to be able to like have this transaction happen. Um, but due to a number of political factors, we're unable to work with those individuals, can't send them money. And now, unfortunately, I feel like we're less efficient. They're not able to uh, participate in this global economy. It just feels very unfair. Uh, and so I guess my hope in my hard parts is that we move towards a world where transactions can be permissionless. Anyone can collaborate with anyone anywhere in the world. Um, and that would be the economy that offers all humans like the most opportunity. So no idea if we're going to get there. Not sure what's going to be next year, 10 years, 20 years from now. But um, that is really the promise of this technology and the reason that I'm excited to be in this space anyway. Absolutely, Jelly. Thank you so much. That is the dream we all hold dear to our hearts. Make sure to come by. We'll see you at our blockchain conference on April 23rd, where we will continue to unravel and unwrap all of these mysteries and learn more. Because again, education through adoption is our motto. Thank you so much for joining us, Jelly. Hope to see you soon. Thanks, Fabi. I'll see you in April. Yes, man. Yes.